Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here. Um, and it's lovely to be able to speak with you. I've been battling a little bit of a sore throat. So if partway through this message, I turn into Batman um, on stage, then, then that's just cool, I think, to be able to say, you know, who's your pastor? Batman is our pastor. Um, but hopefully, hopefully my voice uh, does last. Um, and it's a joy for me to be able to launch us into our Christmas teaching series this morning. And uh, as we look at the glory of God and the hope that we can see for humanity that is revealed through the birth of Jesus. And so this year we're going to be studying the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of John. Um, and so if you have your Bibles with you or your phones or whatever you use uh, to read, you're welcome to take those out. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. And the reason that we are looking at the Christmas story from the Gospel of John is we recognize our world is a mess. I'm not sure if you would agree with that, okay? But as I look out at the scale of the issues that people are facing in their lives, the issues the world is facing, and if we look at those issues and we just see a baby in a manger, just a baby in a manger, that doesn't really inspire any real hope of a positive future. But John in his gospel reminds us why we can have hope, incredible hope in the midst of a world that is so full of struggle and pain. Now, I, I guess that it is possible to shut yourself off to a degree for a time from the brokenness of our world. But eventually... And sorry to be the bearer of challenging news, but eventually pain and sorrow find all of us, don't they? Whether that's war or murder or rape or death, loss, relational breakdown, sickness, suicide, drugs, retrenchment, abuse, neglect, betrayal, evil and tragedy sadly, permeates our society. And I realize I am in a privileged position where people share their lives with me. And many of you and many others have done that. And I've actually done ministry with people who've walked through all of the things that I just mentioned. And so I get a window into people's loss and struggle and hurt and confusion. Either that's your loss, loss or struggle or confusion, or that's on behalf of people that you love, family members, people that you care for and are concerned for. And in a world of so much challenge, it would not be strange to be sitting here today and thinking, I don't really know if my heart has celebration in it this season. 
as I journey towards Christmas. I don't know if I've actually got that in me at this time. Well, I want to show you from the Bible, because that's the only authoritative word of hope and encouragement that I can bring to you. So that's what I've got to bring. Hopefully not Jason's ideas, but God's word for us. The powerful reason that we can know that Christmas and what we celebrate at Christmas, what we remember at Christmas, does bring genuine, glorious hope into this broken and hurting world. You have a reason to have hope in this world of suffering, even in the midst, I would say, of your own pain and loss. And it's a hope I believe is so powerful. We have to receive it and we have to share it with the people who are around us who are equally hurting and in struggle. Jesus, later on in the Gospel of John, he says these words that actually I find encouraging. Yeah, I'm not sure if you find them encouraging, but I find them deeply encouraging. In this world, you will have trouble. You know, it's actually a kindness, isn't it? To, to say to someone the reality of what they're going to be facing. Sometimes it can feel kind to not give people the real story in the hope that you protect them. But Jesus doesn't do that. He tells us the truth because the truth sets us free. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And while we can't escape the reality of this broken world, sin and evil has broken us and others and even the fabric of our society. But Jesus says, take heart, take courage, receive strength, I have overcome the world. Now, that is only encouraging when we know who the I is in that verse. When we know who Jesus is. When we know who he really is. It's my voice. I seem to make her cry ever since, ever since I dedicated her. From then on, I'm sorry. Maybe some of you also want to cry when I'm speaking, but you're just more mature and you hide it better. Okay. But it's because of the reality of the challenge that we face that John begins the gospel that he writes in the way that he does. And he doesn't start with Mary or with the angels or with David and the promise of the Messiah that would come through his line, or to Isaiah, or to Abraham. He goes right back to the very beginning, to the beginning of beginnings, so that as we read through the rest of the gospel, we know who this baby is, who this man is that is going to grow up to speak and to teach and to lead and to die and to defeat death for us. He wants us to know why we can have hope in the midst of this challenging world. And so let me read for us together. We're going to read in bits and I'm going to say some things as we go. This is John chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 5. In the beginning was the Word 
Okay, so we just need to pause there for a moment so that we're all clear about what the word is. The word, when John says, in the beginning was the word, he's not saying in the beginning was an idea or in the beginning was the Bible. He's saying in the beginning, before anything else, there was Jesus. And we know he's speaking about Jesus because if you, in your Bibles, you can see, if you go down to verse 14, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks' time, the word became flesh, John says, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word that was in the beginning that John is going to introduce to us now. He is the same person that was born to Mary in the stable. He is the same person that the apostle John rested his head on at the last supper. Literally would have heard the heartbeat of God as he rested his head on Jesus' chest and heard his breath. He is the same person that died and rose again, that John was able to see and touch. He says in his epistles that what I write about, we're not writing about an idea. We're writing about a person that we knew for years and we watched him die and we watched him rise again. And I saw him with my eyes, the glory of the very own son of God. The same Jesus that met him years later after his death and resurrection glorified now on the island of Patmos as John was in prison for sharing his faith. And John falls at his feet as though dead as he sees the glory of the word. And it says this later on in Revelation chapter 19 as it speaks about the second coming of this word of God, of Jesus. I want to read this to you. You're taking notes, Revelation 19 from verse 11. John says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the Word. He is the Son. He is the King of Kings, who was and is and is to come. And when he comes... You do not want to be standing in opposition to him, having rejected the grace of God on the day that Jesus comes to ultimately and definitively win the war against evil and sin and suffering and death. 
Because the chance on that day to repent and be made right with God will be over. Can you feel the glory of who he is that's trying to come out of these passages of Scripture? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so John begins his gospel with the most profound thing that he says in all the rest of his writings about Jesus. He says, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. The language is very intentional. The word was with God means that they are distinct persons that have relationship with one another. I love the way my Greek lecturer always explained this to me. That the phrase is literally was face to face with God. He was with God. Imagine the, the intimacy of that. You know, we might feel a bit uncomfortable if we got that close together. Unless, you know, it was with your spouse. Um, There's an intense intimacy between Jesus and the Father. But the word was God means that they are one God and not two. And this is the biblical mystery that God the Father and God the Son have such unity that they are one God, not two. And they have such distinction that they are two persons, not one. And there are some that have tried to minimize that tension and translate this verse in other ways. And uh, uh, this was quite personal for me. A number of my extended family are Jehovah's Witnesses. And you might have chatted to them. You might have um, encountered some of their understanding and thinking. They translate this verse in a different way to minimize that tension. They translate it and the word was a God. And they say, and the reason that we do that, and, and, and I only share this with you, because maybe this is helpful if you're have having a conversation. And if this is a bit technical and doesn't help you, just you know, feel free to switch off for two seconds, and then I'll tell you when to, to plug back in. But for some of you, you might find this interesting. Okay, so they say the reason we translate it a God is because there's no definite article in the Greek before God. So in Greek, you would typically have a definite article, the. So it, they would say it should read in the Greek, and the word was the God, and that's not there. And so we translate it a God. And so as I say, just to be technical for a moment, what John has written here follows precisely a very specific Greek rule, which says when you have two nouns okay, sandwiched on either side of a verb of being, The first noun, if it's definite, will drop the article and the subject will, rem will keep it. Okay? So, goodness, if John had wanted to say, you can all plug back in. If John had wanted to say, the word was God, he's written it in Greek exactly how it needs to be written. That is how it needs to be said. And so right up front, at the start of the gospel, John wants us to know, when we think about baby Jesus in the manger, we need to recognize who he is and what he is. He is the word of God, the eternal word of God, who was and is and is to come. 
made flesh among us. And so he goes on to say, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He is the creator of all things. There is nothing that exists does not, that does not exist because he intended it to be so. He made you and he made me. And he didn't just fashion us out of something that was to hand. He made the stuff that we are made out of. Jesus holds all the power and all the authority. He is the light that will not be overcome by the darkness. Kostenberger, in his famous commentary on this verse, says this. In John, light and darkness are no equally matched duality. It's not like there's Jesus and there's Satan and it's a cup final and you're not sure who is going to win at the end. In the battle between Jesus and Satan, the light is overwhelmingly the victor. John Piper says, this is what I would call the invincibility of light. It is not overcome. Light is triumphant over darkness. And incredibly, Jesus says again later in the gospel, John 8 verse 12, if you're taking notes, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If we follow him, we get to receive Jesus. The very word of God comes to make his home and his dwelling by the spirit in us. John 12 verse 36, believe in the light so you may become sons of the light. And so the message of the gospel and the hope of Christmas is that into this darkness, into our darkness, into our sin, into our pain, into our suffering, into the brokenness of this world, the light has come. Those who believe, follow, walk in Jesus, we get to share in the victory of the light over the darkness. When he comes again with the armies of heaven, I hope that you will be in that army that comes with him when he comes again. Or that we would be ready to meet him if we haven't gone to be with the Lord yet. That on that day, we would be with him as he comes to make all things new. And so I want to encourage you this morning and encourage us. As we look at those pictures, as we look at what is going on in the world, as you reflect on perhaps what you are having to battle through at the moment in your life, take heart. Jesus, the light, will have the ultimate victory. Justice and healing and wholeness and peace and joy will come when he comes again. And so certain... And so powerful is Jesus' victory, so complete is Jesus' victory, 
over darkness and sin and death. That as Jesus comes into the world and grows to be a man and begins to pronounce and announce the coming of the kingdom of God, something of that future age even begins to break into our life now. And we see through the ministry of Jesus, people are healed. People are set free. The miracles of God are released to take place. And we get to taste some of that. Something of that ultimate victory now. We get to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Not to the extent that it will be when he comes again. But by the Spirit, by faith, in battle, in mystery. Because we don't always understand why this works and why it doesn't work. Why God says you need to persevere through this in one instance. And why in another moment, bam, it all just happens as you pray. We don't understand all of that. But what we do get to see now in our life with God is the ministry of the kingdom through us and in us, as the light of God comes to dwell in our hearts. I love um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, again, if you're taking notes. This, for me, was such a grid in my seasons of suffering and, and difficulty as a Christian. Paul says that we are like jars of clay, which are fragile. Any of you ever feel fragile? But we are filled with the glory of God. And so we have these earthenware pots. <laughs> Maybe you'd like to think of yourself as something more special than that. Okay? But it's special because it houses the glory of God himself. But in these earthen vessels, in our weakness and in our frailness, he says we can be hard pressed on every side. You ever felt like that? Everything is against you. It's hard at work. It's hard at family. It's hard at church. It's hard with relationships. Everything just seems to be against me. We go through those seasons, but not crushed, Paul says. Perplexed. I am often perplexed and confused. Why has this happened? Why has this not happened? I don't understand, but not in despair persecuted and many Christians across the globe right now are being persecuted for their faith. We have such grace in this country still right now to be able to meet in freedom to worship God and not be afraid as we do it. That is an incredible grace that we must not take for granted. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are meeting like this today with the threat of their lives hanging over them as they do it persecuted, but never abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Because the light always wins. John 20 verse 31, right at the end of the gospel, tells us the reason that he has written everything that he writes. He says this, these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is not just a boy, a baby, a man, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, literally it means to go on believing in the midst of challenge and celebration, to go on believing, 
you may have life in his name. And so I want to give us an opportunity this morning to put our belief in Jesus into play, into action, in the stuff that we are facing. And that might be for the first time for you. You might be here this morning and you've never, in a sense, taken that step. (laughs) Do you know what I mean by saying that? You've never taken that step of faith to say, you know what? I entrust my life to Jesus. I entrust my life to him. I recognize that I have been part of the problem of my own life. I have sinned. I've I've offended God. I see that now. I need God's forgiveness. Lord, I open the door to you. You might not have done that before. We're going to give you an opportunity to make that decision this morning. But equally, you might be here today and you've done that. But it's like the candle has grown very low. And the the heat of faith has become very dim. And God is saying, I need you to be believing again. Will you put your faith in me in the midst of what you are facing? And trust me that I can release my life to you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.